Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4 right there. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be preaching on the importance of unity in the body of Christ. We're going to be finishing up the message from last week on unity. Um, so we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and why we should keep it together as a church, basically. Why we should keep it together as a church. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started in this message. Dear Heavenly Father God, uh, we do love you, God. We thank you for the fact that we are saved, Lord, that we are part, put into the body of Christ, God. We thank you for that fact that you have, uh, we have been born again, Lord. We thank you that we've been in the family. But God, we thank you for the fact that you put us into your body. You have a purpose, a plan for us here on earth, God. I pray that you'd use this. Lord, I pray that you'd help me now as I come and bring your word. God, I pray that it would not, uh, I would not distract from it, but God, I pray that you would show us clearly what you'd have us to obey from your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we were talking about the importance of unity in the body of Christ. Uh, we're talking about how divisive of a world that we live in. Uh, I was, we, we talked a little bit about the Kavanaugh stuff, and it, it's gotten worse this week, I believe, and, and all the Supreme Court judges and all the division that you see. And, 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 and you, we go through illustration after illustration, but I, I was thinking about it this week, and I, I was reading some articles, and this week I came across this one. Um, this week they're actually accusing Trump of causing the hurricane. Have y'all seen that? I mean, somehow it's his fault, right? That's how divided the world, the nation that we're living in right now. And just by the fact I mentioned the name Trump, some of you got mad and some of you got real happy. You know, it's like, and I, I, I'm not going to say what side I'm on of that one. Um, well, I'll tell you this. I wasn't the greatest fan at first. There's some things I didn't. But anyway, but, but just by the fact I mentioned the name, it's divisive, right? And we live in a divided world. Uh, and, and the sad part is that we see a lot of that creeping into our churches. And it does a lot of damage when we don't have unity as the body of Christ. So we want to come together. And this chapter, I believe, talks about this concept, this, this principle of having unity in the body of Christ. Last week, we, we have three points, all right? Last week, we covered the first one, the plea for unity. Today, we're going to try and cover the purpose of unity, the purpose uh, of uni unity, and the practice of of unity, the purpose and the practice of unity. Um, so last week we talked about the plea for unity. Look back at verse number one. It says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He's giving a call. He says, therefore, because of what you learned, we ought to have unity. And he says, I am begging you, I'm beseeching you that you have unity. And let me tell you, I, I, I'm begging you in our church that we keep it together. Let's keep it together as a church because there's much that needs to be done for the glory of God. Uh, then he goes into uh, not only the, the call, but he goes into the characteristics of unity. What are some of those characteristics? Look at it with me. There's lowliness. We talked about that. There's meekness. It all starts with that humility, right? There's long-suffering or being long-tempered. How many of us need a little help on that one? Amen. Uh, there's, and not only do we have to be long-suffering and, and, and long-tempered, we actually have to forbear in love. So we can't just put up with them, right? we got to love them. That makes it a little tougher, doesn't it? It's like, I can deal with you as long as I don't have to love you, but you know, if I have to love you, it makes it a little more difficult. So we love, and then we endeavor to keep this peace. It's a job, it's a work that we must do to keep the peace. So we see the characteristics of it, and then we see the cause for unity. What is it? Is the cause for unity? What did I tell you? Look at verses 4 through 6 there, or yeah, 4 through 6 there, and what is the, the, the key word there? What is the main word that we saw? Are y'all helping me here? What is the main word? Look at your Bible. It's still in the Bible, right? Chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. What is, what is our word that jumps out at you? 
One. That's what God desires of us. And He says these are the things that cause you to be one. We are one body. We're all in one body in Christ. We're one spirit. We're put into that body by the Spirit. We have one hope. Hey, listen, Jesus is coming. That is our hope. How many of you have hope in that today? We all have that in common. And one day we're going to live together in heaven for a long time together, right? So let's get together now and and, and get along now. Um, So we have one hope of our calling. We have one Lord. We have one faith, one baptism, and one God and one Father. We're all part of the same family, so we should all get along. So we had the plea for unity, but the second thing that we're going to look at, the second thing is the purpose of unity. What is the purpose? Why do we need this unity? What is the purpose of unity? Well, it's so that we can all get together, so we can function together as the body of Christ, so we can effectively use the God-given talents that He's given to us. We need to work together to get the work that Jesus wants done here on earth done. And when we fight and we fuss, we don't do that. So that's the purpose of unity. Let's look at it. Verse number 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now notice that word, but. What has he just been talking about? What is our key word from the the, the last three or four verses there? One. All right, y'all with me now, right? One. But then he says what? He says, but. A lot of times we think this unity means uniformity. Basically, we think this unity means we all have to be alike. We're all cookie-cutter Christians. Uh, we all have to be exactly the same. And, 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 but, but what does Paul say? He says, no, 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 no. That's not the point. Uniformity, uh, uh, unity is not uniformity. It's actually uniqueness. It's working together. And what does he say right there? He says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure uh, of the gift of Christ. He says, we're all different. We're all unique. We all have different purposes. We all must use our spiritual gifts. Hey, let me tell you this. Y- you know, The work of Christ will go on if you're not part of it. Don't get me wrong. We will not stop the work of Christ. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I don't think that you or I will prevail against the the work of Christ. But let me tell you this. It won't be the same without you. Hey, you have a special part in the work of God. You are unique. The, the, The gifts that God has given you are not the same as the gifts He's given to me or to somebody else. We are all part of this thing. We are all needed in doing the work of the body of Christ here in Dalton, Georgia and around the world. And so we need to be doing our part. We need to understand that God has gifted us. Um, you know, these spiritual gifts, Wiersbe said it like this, he, and I like it. He says, a spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and the believers are edified. That is the purpose of a spiritual gift, is to build up the body of Christ. It's not for your glory, it's for His glory. Wiersbe went on to say this, and this is what I really liked. He says, gifts are not toys to play with. Let me say that one more time. I think a lot of the charismatic movement believes otherwise. Gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we all know 1 Corinthians was a church that was misusing their gifts. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says that the gifts are given to profit with all. So you have a gift that is here to profit everybody. He went on to say in in chapter 14, which is the chapter where he talks about tongues, he says that our gifts are to be used to the edification of one another. The purpose of our gifts is to help to build the body of Christ. So we see the purpose of unity. We see the giving of the gifts. The first thing we see is the giving of the gifts, verses 7 through verse number uh, um, 11 there. The giver. Who is the one that gives the gifts? It is God. 
Hey, it is given by, it's the gift of Christ. It goes on to say that he uh, ascended up into heaven. What gives him the right to give the gifts is because he's the victor. He's the one that's on the right hand of God. And so he is giving these gifts. And you know, we, we shouldn't be begging him to give us a certain gift or this or that. We ought to know that he knows best for us and he's going to give us the gifts that he wants. Um, verses 9 and 10 talks about the ascending and descending. He descended. He came down from glory. What makes him worthy of giving us gifts? He came down from glory, from heaven. He descended to this earth. He, he lived on... Can you imagine the very creator of all heaven and earth coming down and living on this earth and, and being hungry and being in pain? And, and he died for you. And then he ascended up into heaven. And now he's the victor and he gives these gifts for a purpose, for a purpose. So we see the giver of the gifts. The second thing we see is the giving of the gifts. Look at verse number 11. It says... And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So he shifts here. He's been talking about individual gifts. We are all giving individual gifts. There's the gift of helps. Do you know there's the gift of giving, of generosity? Anybody in here got that one? I want to know you. Um, all right. <laughs> I want to be your friend. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's the gift of, 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 there's all kinds of gifts. There's a gift of administration. There's, there's lots of different gifts. But he switches from talking about individual gifts to talking about gifts that he's given to the church body. Not to individuals, but to the church body. And what are these gifts that he gives to the church body? Look at it. Look at verse number 11. It's people. It's men. He gave specific men as gifts to the body of Christ. Can I point out one to you real quick? It says pastor teachers. Do you understand that and, 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 and I'm not saying this because he's my dad and he's my boss, which are both true. Uh, but do you understand that your pastor is a gift from God to our church? Do you get that? He is a gift. The Bible says that these are gifts that God has given to us. That pastor is a gift. And, and, and shouldn't we treat him as such? I, I think y'all do. Man, I, I appreciate the way that you've taken care of me and my wife and of, of my dad. And, our, and, and I appreciate the, the unity we've had in our church and all of those things. But we should treat him as a gift from God. That's what the Bible says. Now notice what are these gifts. I don't have time to cover these. We don't really. Look at it. It says, and gave some apostles and some prophets. The apostles, those were the 12 men that God personally chose. There's two things. They had to be personally chosen by God, personally called by God to be an apostle, and they have to have witnessed the risen Lord, all right? Now, are there apostles today? No, there are no apostles today. Uh, prophets, it, this New Testament prophet was somebody that got a direct revelation for God, from God, for the church. Are there prophets today? No. There are not New Testament. In this sense, there are not New Testament prophets today. And I want, uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, I believe it is, it says that the prophets shall fail. It means they'll, they'll, they'll stop. They were given for a certain period of time. And that which, when that which is perfect is come, they are no longer needed. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians 13. What is that which is perfect is come? It's the complete revelation of the Word of God. All right, look at Ephesians chapter 2, since we're right there. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 20. And talking about the church, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So what do we have as far as the prophets? The apostles and the prophets were used by God to be the foundation of the church and that transitional period are no longer needed. But what about these evangelists? These evangelists are. These are gifts to the church. These evangelists are, are people that go out and preach the gospel. The evangelist literally is those that bear the gospel, bears of the good news. Uh, we... we we have evangelists. I don't want to get into this. We have evangelists that go around today, and, 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 but is that what this office is really talking about? It's not the same thing, really. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but it's not the same thing. An evangelist is one that would go, it was much like what the Apostle Paul would do. He would go into a city, and he would preach the gospel, and many people would be saved, and he would establish a church. So we do have evangelists. To me, this office looks more like a missionary today, to me. And that's, that's what it looks like to me. And so they are gifts to the church. And then you have the pastor teacher. You have the pastor teacher, which is, uh, we know, is one that comes and, and gives, um, teaches the church, that, sits, uh, that, 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 that helps every day in the church. So the first thing we see is the giving of the gifts. The second thing we see here, and this is what I want to get to, is the outcome of the gifts. The outcome of the gifts. So, what, what purpose does God give us these gifts for? Why is it we need to have unity so we can use our gifts the way that we need to? Look at verse number 12. The pastor teacher is there for what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The first thing is for the function, the outcome, the first outcome is the functioning of the body. The functioning of the body. Basically this, the church works the way it's supposed to work. The church works the way it's supposed to work. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't the pastor doing the work. Who's doing the work? It says that the pastor was given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the, of, of, the, of the body of Christ. Um, what happens when we don't get along? It hurts the work of Christ, doesn't it? Hey, what, is, what are we supposed to be doing here? We're supposed to be the body of Christ. We're supposed to be functioning here on earth as His hands, as His feet. And yet we don't get along. You know what's so sad to me is I see, I see a lot of churches that are closing their doors, uh, that, 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 that are falling uh, away. And, 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 and you know what happens, to, what happens to that bus ministry that used to be in that church? What happens to it? It's gone. What about that Sunday school class that that, 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 that that kid used to always come to and that same person was teaching, now the doors are shut because they couldn't get along. What happened to that Sunday school class? What about that missionary that's being supported on the field? Is that money coming anymore? It's gone. Why? Because it's not working the way it's supposed to. Hey, what happened? We couldn't get along. And so we see that the body works the way it's supposed to. How many of you ever got it, had a plan and it worked out just the way it was supposed to? How does that make you feel? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> How you ever had a plan and it worked exactly the opposite of the way you thought it was going to? Had those. You ever got in a car? Uh, some of you guys that are car guys, and you got in a car, man, that thing was sweet. I mean, it sounded good, it drove good, it handled great, all those things. Everybody, anybody ever get in a car and it just was awesome the way it worked? Yes, man. And you loved it, right? It just put a thrill in you. Anybody ever got in a car and it did not work the way it's supposed to? How does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah. More of us have been in that car, right? Yeah, that's me too. <laughs> I, I drive that one. No. Uh, more of us have been in that one. <laughs> but isn't it sad that our church doesn't function the way that God intended, that God planned, because we can't get along and use our gifts? We ought to get along. Uh, so the first thing is the body functions the way it's supposed to. Next thing, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the first thing uh, was we work right the way we're supposed to. We function the way we're supposed to. The second thing is Christ-likeness. 
Christ-likeness. Our church is Christ-like. Uh, that, you know, what is the true measure of a church? It says right here, under the measure. So what is the true measure of a church? A lot of times we like to measure our church by attendance numbers, don't we? We like to measure our church by facilities. We like to measure our church by this or by that, uh, by baptism numbers. But what is the true measure of a church? Christ-likeness. It's how like Christ we are. That's what really matters. Uh, how, how, more, how like Him are we? How does, when the world looks at our church, do they see Christ? In our church, we are to be the measure of the fullness of Christ. And let me tell you, we ought to be united in that. Hey, that should be our goal. Hey, not that I get my way or you get your way, but that we are like Christ. That ought to be our measure. Uh, the, the, the third thing here, look at verse number 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So we have stability. Hey, the, the next thing we have, this unity, the purpose of it, the, these gifts, the outcome of these gifts is stability. We don't have that fussing and fighting and all of these things going on. We don't have the, the, the wishy-washiness. We don't have people that are here and out. We have stability. Uh, you know, I, 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 wanna, I wonder how many people, how many people have been turned off from the gospel because of the fussing and fighting that they see? How many children have come through and, and they see their parents get hurt or get upset in church and, and now no longer are they part of church because of fussing and fighting and things that happen in the house of God. It's sad. It shouldn't be that way. We ought to call stability and be able to have these young people grow up in a stable environment and come to that measure of Christ that we're talking about. Number four here. Look at verse 15. It says, but speaking the truth in love. So the fourth thing is that we'll speak the truth. Hey, we're able to speak this truth in love. Uh, our church will have a testimony. It'll be uh, validated when it speaks because we are together as the body of Christ. We're using our abilities. Hey, it, it, it'll be something that they'll listen to. They'll, they'll listen to that truth. And then number five here, and we're, we're, we're done with this part. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. We'll have, first of all, we'll have cooperation. We'll all work together, effectual working in the measure of every part. It, we're, we're fitly joined together. We're compact. We're all doing our jobs. But notice what happens because of it. So we have cooperation and we have growth. It maketh increase. You know, I, I desire for our church to grow. Don't you? I think we ought to grow in our, our holiness and our, and our Christ-likeness, all of those things. But man, I just want it to grow too, don't you? And what happens when we don't get along? What happens when we fuss and fight? What happens when we don't pull, pull, all do our part? We don't grow. It says he maketh increase, maketh increase unto the edifying of itself in love. All right, so we see there the purpose of unity, but I want to look at the practice of unity. We'll spend just a few minutes on this. So we've seen a call for it, and I think we all agree it's important. We all agree it's important. It's important to Jesus. It's important to God. It's important to the purpose of the church. Um, and, and, and then we saw the purpose of it, why we need to do it. But let's look at how to do it. And this is where it really gets tough, doesn't it? How do we get along? How do we stop fussing and fighting? How do we stop aggravating and annoying and irritating one another? How do we stop getting mad? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us right here. You know, I've, I've had people actually tell me this, that they've tried and they can't do it. They say, I've, I've tried, I try to get along with people, and I just can't do it, you know. 
But is that, is that really true? Do we have a way to get along? You know, I was looking at this, and in verses 25, where it starts in verse 25 about putting away lying, and talks about not getting angry, and uh, they be kind one to another. <clears throat> I've often heard this given in the context of, of marriages. Dad often preaches out of this passage on marriage retreats, and I think it's very applicable, and it is talking about that. Um, I've even heard it talked about in relationships, but primarily, what is, who is this passage to? It's to the church. It is. It's to us. This is talking about how we should get along. Uh, and the Bible teaches us how to do it. There's two things. It talks, first, he gives us a spiritual truth we are to apply. He tells us this spiritual truth that will help us to carry out the things that we need to do. The first thing is this. He says that we are to put off the old man. Look at verse number 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Look at verse number 22. He says that, they, that you put off the, uh, concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful us. So the first thing we're going to do, if we're going to get along, we're going to learn to treat each other and have the right kind of relationships. We've got to put off that old man. Hey, we've got to walk not as the other Gentiles do. Hey, you know, we, we have churches today that, that don't mind walking and being just like the world. But that, the Bible says that causes division. That causes problem. We need to put it away. We need to walk not as other Gentiles walk. Hey, he went on to say, look at verse number 3 of chapter 5. Paul talked about this. He says, but fornication, all uncleanness of covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Hey, our church, we need to walk not as other Gentiles walk. Look at verse number 6 of that same chapter. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness... But now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness, but rather reprove them. The first thing we must do is put off that old man. Hey, that old nature is selfish, isn't it? Do you have to teach your children to be selfish? Not, no, no, you don't. You have to teach them to be giving, right? You have to teach them. Why? Because that's that old nature. That's that selfish, we are self-centered people at, at, at heart. That's where we're born under Adam. We're born that way. And let me tell you, we're going to have problems getting along with people when we live according to that old flesh. And why should we do that? Hey, the Bible goes on to say that, 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 that it's all vanity in their mind. It says that they're darkened. It says that they don't know, that's what the next verse says, it says they don't even know the life of God. They don't know how good it is to be part of God, the eternal life that God gives us. And yet we go back and we act just like that. Hey, what are we doing when we fuss and fight and lose our temper and all that? We're acting like the devil, aren't we? And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's what we're doing. And so the first step is this, is to put off the old. Hey, if we're going to get along, we've got to put off the old, but that's not enough. We have to put on the new. Notice verse 20. It says, and I like this, he'd been saying, put off that, don't walk like the Gentiles. And they were living in a horrible society at the time. It, it, it was something to say. He says in verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. Hey, don't be fussing and fighting and acting like the heathen world out there because that's not who you've learned. 
Now, it doesn't say learned about Christ. It says learned Christ. And that means that we are to have that relationship with Him. We are to put it on. Hey, we've not learned to be that way. We ought to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at what it says in verse number 21. If so be that you have heard Him and have been taught by Him the truth that is in Jesus. Um, our lives are be transformed by this truth. Uh, look at verse number... Skip down to verse 23. How do we do that? It says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We are to be renewed in our mind. Second uh, Corinthians 4.16 uses this same word, renewed. And it says we're to be renewed day by day. So here, here's what we're getting to. How do we do this? How is it we get along? How is it we stop fighting? And, and we'll do all of these things he's going to mention in verses 25 through 32. Well, first of all, we have to put off that old man, that selfish nature that's in us. We need to put it away. And we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth that is in Him. And we do that being, by being renewed in our mind. How are we renewed in our mind? By daily taking His Word. By daily praying. That is the way that we are renewed in our mind. Our lives are transformed. Our relationships, listen to me, our relationships are transformed as we renew our minds day by day in the Word of God. So we see the next thing here. Look down in verse number 24. It says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if any man be in Christ, what does it say? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are come new. Hey, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says that we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but what? But Christ liveth in me. And let me tell you, I'm going to take this excuse away from you right quick, all right? Those of you who say, well, you don't understand. I can't get along. There's something inside of me. My name, I just get mad and I lose my temper. I can't do it. Well, let me tell you something. You're doubting the ability of the Lord Jesus Christ when you say that. Because it's not you anymore. You have Jesus living in you. And if you decide to put off the old man and to put on the new, you can get along with people. You can have the right kind of relationships with people. You can be long-suffering. You can be kind. You can be these things because Jesus is and He's in you. There's no excuse. So, let's look. We looked at the spiritual truth to apply. That's the truth. We can put off the old. We can put on the new. Now, let's notice some specific traits that accompany this truth. Look at it, verse 25. These are the things that if we do them, we'll get along. All right? He gives us some specific things. No, uh, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So number one, the specific trait is honesty. Honesty. You know, what was the first sin that God judged in the early church? You know what it was? Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira came. And what did they do? The Bible says they lied to the Holy Spirit of God. And they were killed. Just like that. Hey, dishonesty ought to have no part in the life of a Christian. Uh, we ought to be honest. 
You know, the Bible says in, in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, that the devil was a liar and the father of lies. And what we do when we lie, when we're dishonest with one another, what we do is we are being just like the devil. We're being just like the devil. But what is Jesus? John 14, verse 6, what does it say? Jesus is the way, the truth. The life. What is the Holy Spirit of God? In John chapter 14, I think it's verse 17, it says that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of truth. Hey, what is the Bible that we hold in our hands? The Bible says in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy, uh, through thy word. Thy word is truth. So what do we have? We have Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Hey, we have the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of truth. We have God's Word. It is the truth. And there's nothing in our nature, in our new man, that is dishonest. We ought to be truthful all the way through. Dishonesty should be the furthest thing from any Christian in, our, in, in his nature. Hey, you're telling those little white lies to your wife, not being totally honest? It's going to cause problems in your marriage. Hey, you telling those, 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 those lies to the, the people in your church or to your, to your parents and thinking you're getting away with it? Let me tell you, there's going, to be some, there's going to be some problems in your relationships. We need to put away lying. We need to be honest. Second thing here. This is wherefore put away lying. Look at the next thing. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the wrath go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So the first thing was honesty. The second thing is self-control. Uh, a lot of people use this verse to... Um, justify their anger, right? It says be angry and sin not. But that's talking about a righteous anger. Uh, and I don't think that most of us even know what that is. It's not talking about a selfish anger, a self-centered anger. That, that's what we do when we fight with our husbands and wives. It's usually selfish, right? It's I want my way. Well, that's not righteous anger. Righteous anger concerns God being angry about sin. Righteous anger concerns others, being, uh, the way that others are treated. Uh, that's righteous anger. We need to have control. We need to be self-controlled. We, don't, we, ha- we need to have the right kind of anger. Um, James chapter 1. Look at James 1 with me real quick. James 1. Look at verse number 19. Passage we all need to memorize. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, Slow to speak, and slow to what? Slow to wrath. Notice this verse, verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Hey, when you get angry, when you lose your self-control, when you have the wrath of man, the Bible tells me it worketh not the the righteousness of God. It never, listen, never turns out good. We need to be self-controlled. Think about the devil with this, right? Jesus said that wrath is, is akin to murder, and the Bible says that he's a murderer. So whenever you lose your temper, you lose your anger, you're being just like the devil. We ought to be like Christ, shouldn't we? We ought to be like Christ. Number three, so we've seen that we are to be honest, we're to be self-controlled. Number three, we're to be... Well, let me, show, let me show you one more thing, though. It says neither give place... Verse 27, it says neither give place to the devil... Can I just take a side note here and tell you something? Whenever you lie and whenever you lose your temper, you give place to the devil. That's what happens in our church. Whenever you lie, whenever you 
get angry with somebody and, and, and you have a conflict with them, you open the door for the devil to come in and have a place. Hey, can I bring it, can I bring it home for a second? That's what happens in your home. When you lie, listen to me, young people. When you lie, when you lose your temper, when you get angry, you open the door. You give place to the devil in your home. I don't want that. Do you? Let me bring it a little closer even than that. Your heart. When you lie, when you lose your temper and get angry, you fuss and fight with your parents, you open your heart and give place to the devil. Man, this is a serious thing, isn't it? Our relationships, the actions that we have, they have consequences. Sometimes big consequences. Man, I don't want to have anything in my heart that goes between me and the Lord. Do you? I don't have anything in my marriage that gets between me and, and my wife. I mean, you want that in your home? I don't want anything in my church. I don't. It gets between us doing what the Lord would have us to do. So it gives place to the devil. So the first thing was, um, what was the first thing? Honesty. The second thing was what? Self-control. The third thing, hard work. Look at verse number 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. And so hard work. Put away stealing. Um, just as Satan is a liar, just as Satan is a murderer, and you know that he's a thief. John 10, 10 says that, we, uh, that the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And let me tell you, whenever we steal, whenever we take something that is not rightfully ours, when we defraud our brother, our sister, we're just like Satan. But what does the rest of that verse, John 10, 10 say? It says that Jesus has come, but I am come. They may have life. We ought to be givers. Hey, we ought to be stealing. A couple things about work. Notice two things here. Verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor... But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is what? Good. So Christian work, this is a side note, but Christian work should first of all be good. Hey, it should be things that, that do not cause us to compromise. It should be things that do not cause us to dishonor God. It should be things that do not cause us to violate his commands. That is what good work is is. A, a Christian should not be working in a, in a bar. They shouldn't be working in a place that has alcohol. They shouldn't be working in places that are not good. They violate the commands of Scripture. Hey, if all possible, we need to be uh, giving honor to the, the, the Lord's day and we shouldn't be working where we, we can do, if we can do things that are good. We ought to be doing things that are good. And then he gives us the purpose of it. Look at what he says in verse 28. That he may have to give to him that need it. <clears throat> so, what do we think the purpose of work is? To get, to gain, right? That's what, that's what we think. We think it's so we can get rich. But what is, the, what is the Christian's purpose of work? So they can give. You know why God blesses you with ability and, and, and a job and, and everything? So we can be givers. So we can give. We have the wrong idea about work sometimes, don't we? But that is, there, a lot of disunity can be traced to that, to idleness and laziness. And that's what causes a lot of it. We need to be hard workers. That will help with that. Wearsby said this, and I'm going to quote him here. That way it's not coming from me. All right, uh, he said this, Wearsby said this, A lazy Christian robs himself, others, 
in God. So we need to be hardworking. All right, so third thing. You need a lot of amens on that one. Third thing, hard work. Number four, good speech. Good speech. Look at it. Verse 29. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So the fourth thing is good speech. Just as Satan is a liar, just as Satan is a murderer, just as Satan is a thief, he's a slanderer. Hey, he, 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 he's the accuser of the brethren. It, that word there, it says, let no corrupt communication. That word corrupt, um, that word corrupt, it refers to like rotten fruit or spoiled food. Have you ever taken anything out of your refrigerator and it just was awful? You know, it got stuck back there in that vegetable drawer for like two years and you didn't know it. You know what I'm saying? And you take it out. And, and how do you take it out? You take it out like this, right? You're not going to put it in the trash. You've got to go burn it something, you know, <laughs> and throw it in the woods. That's what I do. My neighbor, you know, anyway. Uh, but um, that's the idea here. It's corrupt. It's dead. It's rotten. And that's the speech that comes out of many people's mouths. I thought about an illustration with this. I thought about Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? Uh, he died. And, and Jesus waited around like four days or so. And he came. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of that, and, and they told Jesus beforehand, right? They said, Lord, you don't want to go, and they, they were going to take that stone away. And they said, Lord, you don't want to do that. Why? What did they say? Because he stinks, right? <laughs> like, he stinks, God. I mean, Lord, it's, it's not, you know, it's been there rotten a few days. But Jesus, he raised him from the dead. And he came forth. So what was the next thing he told him to do? They told him, they told him, they told him to put off. Those clothes. Could you imagine if Lazarus, he, he raised from the dead. Jesus raised him from the dead, right? Uh, and he's walking around, and he still had those nasty, I mean, because they would have been filled with that rottenness, that decay. I mean, just, ugh. So Lazarus, I think I'll keep this. I think I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to wear this Sunday to church, you know? My grave clothes. It smelled, wasn't it? What did he do? He put it away. And yet we hold on to that same kind of talking, don't we? That same kind of speech. Hey, let me tell you, cursing and foul language should have no part. What did it say? It said, let, how much corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth? It said, let no corrupt communication. It ought to have no part. Hey, Christians ought not be cursing. They ought not be talking about foul things. Hey, they ought not be, they ought not be um, speaking about, uh, about wicked things. In, in, in those next verses, it's talking about fornication. We shouldn't be talking about all those things. As Christians, we ought to be different. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Hey, sometimes that corrupt communication can be in the tone that we use, can it? Hmm, should, I, should, I, should I move on from that one? Maybe the words aren't necessarily wrong or bad or foul, but the way that we say them is. Hmm, that hurts me. I'm sorry, that one hurts me, you know. I can do that. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But what are we to do? But that which is good. Hey, we ought to, we ought to be saying good things. Uh, sometimes that means that we, we ought to be honest in all things, but we don't always have to say everything, do we? We're going to try and get along. We ought to have good communication. Hey, if we took just that verse, how would that improve our relationships? Are you with me? If, if we apply just that verse 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that will minister grace unto the hearers. Do you understand that you can either pierce people like a sword? Talks about that in Proverbs. We, we, we used that verse on Wednesday night, didn't we, Faith? About piercing like a sword. You can either pierce people and hurt and wound and scar them with the words, or you can give help, the Bible talks about. You can build them up. What kind of person do you want to be? Are you one of those people where they're always afraid to come around you because they're going to get cut? I know people like that. You walk on eggshells around them, don't you? Maybe you're that way. I don't know. Maybe I'm that way. I hope not. Or do you know those people where you go around them and when you're with them, man, you come away feeling refreshed, encouraged. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let's finish this up. Look at verse number 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. One, it's wonderful to know that we're sealed to the day of redemption. This is one of the better verses in the Bible about, about eternal security, actually, because it says that we can grieve Him, but He doesn't leave us. We're still sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that wonderful to know we can grieve Him, but we're still sealed? Amen. But how many of us want to grieve Him? I don't. And you know what grieves Him? It grieves Him when the Holy Spirit does not feel at home. Hey, when we have lying, when we have, when we have dishonesty, when we have anger, you ever been in a home like that? You ever, you ever felt that? You ever been in a place and you're just uncomfortable because people are fighting? You ever had that happen? Like a couple just breaks out in a fight in the middle of, of, of a restaurant or something? Oh my. <laughs> it's like I'm leaving. You don't, feel, you don't feel comfortable, do you? Well, how do you think the Holy Spirit of God feels in our church when we fuss and fight? It grieves Him. How do you think the Holy Spirit of God feels in your home when you're fussing and fighting all the time? It grieves Him. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We want to have that fruit of the Spirit. We want to have a place where He feels welcome. We want to have a, a place where He feels at home. And we want it to be where He feels part of what we're doing there. So we see, number one, we see, uh, what do we see? We saw, number one, honesty. We saw self-control. We saw hard work. We see good speech, and then lastly, we see kindness and forgiveness. And this sort of sums it all up. Look at verse number 31. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you, from you with all malice. That word bitterness, it talks about a settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man. Think about that. A settled hostility that poisons a whole inner man. He says, Don't let that be part of you. To put it away, put away bitterness. And, 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 Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it talks about it being like a root. It's like a weed in us. And we need to put away all bitterness. These sins in, in verse number 31, these are the sins that break fellowship. They destroy the, the, the church. They destroy these relationships that we have. I, I've seen it time and again when people get bitter. What does it do? It destroys all their relationships eventually, doesn't it? destroys it all. You see it in churches. People get bitter. They leave. It starts destroying relationship by relationship. And it says that it's a root. What happens with the root? It means that something's going to spring up and you're going to see some awful fruit from that bitterness in your life. Let me tell you something. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about how many will be defiled. 
Your bitterness doesn't just affect you. It affects all those around you. The Bible says to put it away. So we see, it says to put away, uh, let us, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. That's just wickedness in general. Do away with it. But instead, what are we to do? Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Kind. Isn't that what Jesus is? I want you to think about the kindness, the unconditional kindness of God for a second. Hey, were you worthy of His kindness? Were you worthy of His love? Were you worthy of His grace? Were you worthy of His mercy? Man, I wasn't. And that's the way we, we, we think sometimes. Well, they're not worthy of me being kind to them. I might tolerate them, but I'm not going to be kind to them. But what does the Bible say? It says, it's a command. What does it say? Be ye kind. We're to be kind. It goes on to say tenderhearted. The idea of being compassionate. Our church should feel for others. You know, I don't know if I should say this. Maybe I shouldn't. But before you say some things, shouldn't you think of how this is going to make another person feel? Before you put something out there in public, we have lots of public arenas nowadays, shouldn't you be careful about how that's going to make somebody feel? What are we doing there? We're thinking about that person's situation. We're being tender-hearted, compassionate, I care about what you think and what you feel. That's important, to have compassion. I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't care what people think about me. That's not very tenderhearted. Now, I understand what we're saying when we stand up for the Lord and all those kinds of things. Don't get me wrong, but when we intentionally or unintentionally hurt people and don't care about it, that's not what the Bible is teaching us to do here. It says that we are to be kind and we are to be tenderhearted. He goes on to say this, and we're done. Forgiving one another. There is no more Christ-like characteristic than forgiveness. <laughs> Think about it. Why did he come? Why did he, why did he come to this earth? Why did he uh, bleed and die on the cross for us? Why? So he could forgive us. He sacrificed everything so He could forgive you. And what do we do? We're unforgiving. The Bible says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So we need to get along. We need to have unity. And this is how we're going to do it. Let's be that kind of person. In our church, we need it. Hey, man, the work of Christ is important here. It's more important than me. It's more important than you. It's more important than, than our fuss or fight that we might be having is the work of Christ. Hey, let me tell you something. Maybe you work in the youth, or maybe you work in Master Club, or maybe you work in the bus, or, or maybe you, you're involved in missions, or maybe you're, whatever you do, let me tell you, that fuss or fight is not worth that ministry. It's not worth the souls that can be saved. We need to get along. Your home, your relationship to your husband and your wife or your wife 
more important than that fuss or fight. It's more important than you getting your rights and you being right, right? I had somebody come up to me last week and tell me about a person. I can't remember who it was. It was some coach or something. They would say, he's like, I might not have, how do you say it? He says, I may, I may have not always been right, but I've never been wrong. That was what it was. Any of y'all that way? Never wrong? Is it worth it? Is your marriage worth it? Is your relationship with your children worth it? Not being that kind of Christian? Not getting along? In your heart? In your relationship to God? Is it worth it? Let's pray. Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer. Maybe God has spoke to your heart. Hey, you know there's some things that you need to do better, man. You need to have better self-control. We won't be long today, but I, I want to I give a time of prayer. Maybe there's something that God has spoke specifically to you about. Would you come to these altars? Maybe there's a relationship you know you need to work on. <laughs> Maybe it's you you need to work on, right? Dear Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this truth from your word. God, I pray it's been helpful. Lord, I know it's helped me. God, I, I struggle with this sometimes with my relationships, Lord, with, with getting angry and, and, Lord, just not being compassionate the way that I should, not being kind. Lord, I pray that you'd help me with this. Lord, I, I love these people. Lord, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we're all part of the same body. Lord, we all have the same purpose. Lord, please help us to get along. Lord, not that there's any specific problem, but God, just the devil's fighting against it. He always does. And Lord, pray that you'd help us. Help us to be right with one another and with you. Pray for this in Jesus' name.